Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. After this recording, you will be able to hear information about our Australian and New Zealand tour and also find out who won a box of books this week. People are finding it harder to find those moments now. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. I don't want to put that in the podcast. It's not, because we're starting with this, aren't we? Okay, we just had a little discussion about socialism. No, you don't need that. uh, um... But suffice to say, I'm proud to be a socialist. And you right. should be too. Anyway, welcome to Robin and Josie's uh, podcast, or Josie and Robin's podcast, a little bit of both. Uh, today we're joined by uh, the, uh, well, the, the, the provocative uh, Stalinist, uh, Alexi <laughs> Sale. Um, the uh, the um, sensitive short story writer, Alexi Sale. The provocative Stalinist short story writer, <laughs> Alexi Sale. Uh, the man who was probably one of the first people to put the words anarcho-syndicalist into any joke in 1979. Um it's been a while since we the last time we had you on we were talking about a time out uh, eatery guide yes. which was a delight where you talk about having this little time tunnel trip where you would look and you go oh I see that Jamaican eatery in Camden is no longer there but the review will always remain um but before we get onto your love of uh, forgotten Jamaican eateries uh, that were highlighted by uh, 1980s time out guides talk about your new book which is well, it's not a new book now. It's 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 just coming out of paperback. Your yes. second volume of autobiography. Second, well, yes, it's called Thatcher Stole My Trousers, and it's a companion volume to um, the yeah, to um, Stalinette My Homework, and it's 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 kind of picks up a couple of years after the last one left off, which starts with me going to uh, art school in um, nineteen seventy one in Chelsea and leaving home. And finishes in with the minor strike, really, nineteen eighty four, eighty five. The thing when you were going through this, because I, I remember seeing you when you were putting it all together, and occasionally ringing people up and going, "Hang on a minute, did that actually happen at the comedy <laughs> store?" Since it's come out, and you you have lots of, I mean, the, the beginning of your kind of you know journey to London felt very much, it almost felt actually like the character you played in Strike when a uh, comic strip presents Strike, when you first come to London and you're seeing it, oh wow this is the art school and then very quickly you've got a reputation for an accidental and uh, non-deserved reputation for being a junkie, <laughs> yes. didn't you as well? What? Yeah, well because the first bloke, you know, you're des- it's like what's that thing in it when you go to college and you spend all your time trying to avoid you know, the people you meet in the first week yeah. It was a bit like, so I'm the only bloke I, I felt very alienated on the first morning. The only bloke I met, this is true, the only bloke I met was a bloke I'd met very briefly. He'd done foundation at Southport, where I'd been. And I said, Oh, hi, you know, I've used his real name. So, Eric, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to change that. Uh, I, 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 Eric, um, you know, great to see you again. And uh, he just kind of collapsed in front of me. And I had to get my tutor I'd only just met to take the two of us to uh, the hospital. And then it, they saw all these track marks on his arm. And uh, he actually, I think he had emphysema or something. I don't know, one of them long things. Uh, um, but they, yes, because they thought I was his mate. They thought I too was a, was a heroin user, really, yeah. But then I was only, you know, could only go up from there, really. So when I, <laughs> like, despite everything, you've done some really great work this Yeah, term. exactly. Well, they, you know, they, they eventually they'd say, yeah, oh, glad to see you. You're looking a lot better. Glad to see <laughs> you. Glad to see you've kicked the yam-yam. <laughs> well, when you got to art school as well, though, you in, in the book you kind of talk about the fact that you almost didn't know you were making art. You were kind of dicking around with short films, weren't you? And that was... I did after a while, yeah. I mean, I mean, 
I mean, it was interesting that I'd I'd, I'd done two years foundation because I'd um, been kicked out of sixth form. So, um, and foundation was a wonderful experience. You had a kind of true art school experience of being liberated. You know, kind of yeah, why not? draw with boot polish or you know soil or and all that and then to go to Chelsea which was a much more um I don't it was just a much more uncaring institution really you know where, where and it was quite dull you know you were the theory was that you worked in a way that you, you were each put into a studio with a a like-minded artist and they're kind of on the kind of Italian renaissance model and then he would mentor you but of course what happened was that each studio head would choose kind of slightly inferior versions of themselves because they didn't want the competition. Anyway, so it it, it put me off um, painting quite rapidly. And then I eventually started making short films, yeah. But, I mean, to say that I did anything at all is, you know, is, implies a kind of level of work that was not... You know, it's like... You know, Stephen Wright joke about it, you know the thin line between fishing and standing on the edge of a river with a stick. Uh, you know, it's uh, the, the, the um, there's a fine line between kind of being an art student and just sitting in a room humming. <laughs> See, this is the worrying thing, Josie. If somebody runs arts emergency, mm-hmm. what they're saying is, oh, in the halcyon days, we used to get to art school and do nothing. Yes, but <laughs> I'm all for. You know, a shirkers brigade. I'm all for reveling in failure and indolence and everything. You know, like you look at the spirit of 1968, and so much of it is like no work. You know, like and and also you think about the 60s and 70s, and people were aspiring to everyone working less. Like you know, so like a lot of culture these days is all like if you're not doing something you hate for 60 hours a week, you are a bad person. And like, so it's good to kind of, but like, you know, quite often I speak in defence of the idea that at university you've got three years of uh, fucking about, you know? So, you know, it's about what kind of society you want. You want a generous society, Mm. don't you? Did you hang around? What were you in terms of your art influences? I went to that brilliant gallery that's just round the corner from uh, Liverpool Lime Street. Uh, Walker, yeah, Walker Gallery. Mm. And did you kind of? Peter Blake said that was a very important place for him. And and there's a, an amazing painting of the the lead uh, female character from uh, Le Miserable. Uh, Marianne. Yeah. Uh, and it's no. just there's a, I, I forget the name of the painter, but she painted this. She just this. She's sold her hair, she's sold her teeth, she's done that, and it's just there at the top of the stairwell. It's incredibly striking Victorian um, painting. I mean, would you, did you spend your days kind of when you hanging around? Yeah, no, I spent a lot of time in the, um, in the walker, yeah. Without, I never, I mean, the appreciation of art is, I mean, the reason I went to art school was not, because of a real love of art because I could draw and because I wanted a higher education and if my family had been a bit less snobby I would have done graphics really because that's that's where my interest lay but instead I did fine art really which I don't I have to work really hard to appreciate paintings it doesn't come naturally to me but yeah nevertheless I spent a lot of time in the in the walker and I did it was very formative. There's an area of Lucian Freud in there of a, an interior in Paddington in 1951. That's the guy in the overcoat. Yeah, the overcoat yeah. standing by a door. And but I, I didn't. I thought more. My feelings about that was I'd like to be painted in an overcoat. 
<laughs> not I you know I see that this painting is about you know suburban alienation and um but that's the comedian personality trait isn't it it's like I want to be the one having the good life. Yeah. You know, I want to be the one get, hoovering up all the experiences, I think. Do you know what I mean? I want to be looked at. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I want to be the one with the brush. Look at, me, look at me. Or I want to be the man celebrated, you know, as the artist. What I didn't, what I didn't really understand intuitively was how to do the art. Really. And that's why I stopped, I guess, because it wasn't... I wasn't good enough at it, really. Was it a thing whereby you found performing and it was like... Oh, okay. Yeah, at the minute. I think, I mean, now, I'm probably, there's probably an element of retrospective, uh, you know, kind of justification. But I think, yeah, I think I knew right away what happened was that a mate of mine I'd been at school with asked me to be in this Brecht cabaret troupe, you know, like real fringe thing. And as soon as I started doing it, I thought, I understand this in a way that I don't understand painting. And I could also see what everybody else was doing wrong. I mean, particularly with comedy. <laughs> Sorry, that, that comes across as arrogant. But, um, I mean, I write about it. I mean, the, 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 like my, the guy who ended up being my partner, Bill, um, he'd get a laugh one night and then he'd do it different the next night. And I think, well, why are you just do it the same? But actors partly, one, he didn't. It was a question of talent that he didn't really have the talent to to know where the laugh was, how he got it. But also it was that the actor's impulse is to continually fuck about with the text, you know, in a way that I think a comic doesn't. That a comic, you fuck about it with a different way, but you'll... You find it and then you find like, the laugh and that. you think that's where the laugh is, yeah. But that can lead to complacency as well, because I think of someone like Joanna Neary, who's a, a, a brilliant performer, and... She will sometimes, we do four shows in a row, she have these brilliant characters and she think, today I'm going to do this character a bit like this and constantly try and find different ways of getting laughs. So I think sometimes comedians are actually, the, the actors go, oh, now I've found it, and comedians go, bored, so I'm going to have to start dicking around now. That's not really my experience. I, don't, I think I think in essence the, the, you know, the, the, the job brief or the, you know, the job description of the comics to find the laugh and then do it the same every night, really. I mean... Within within limits of you know, still playfully you know not by rote really. So that's. Are you much of an improviser on stage then? Yeah, reasonable. You know, not bad. A few, you know, four or five minutes a night or something. You know, when yeah. I do it, you know, not not massive. Or yeah, or more. I'll think of something and then go out and try it. You know, that nice. I certainly I don't stick with. I don't. I can't do that thing though. Of I mean, since I you know, went back to it for a year in, in, in 2012, 2013. Um, I can't do that tryout thing now. I've got to be set. You know, if I, if I, I can't, the only way I can do new material is to introduce it around material that I know works. I can't do that thing of going on with a scrap of paper and the old rope or somewhere. And yeah. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. That's an interesting, Patton Oswalt, a uh, great uh, American comic, obviously, and he, he's written a book which is, it's about him doing stand-up in LA, but also him hanging around the cinemas all the time. So it's kind of, I don't know if you've read it, Josie, it's kind of double double memoir. And he says that when he came from, I can't remember where he's originally from, and the first night in the in the clubs in LA, he went on and he did his dynamite set, and it was a disaster, and everyone went, ugh. Because everyone else was shambling on and going, yeah, I got some ideas right. here. <laughs> and so by going on and almost you suddenly become the, he knows what he's doing. He's done this before, faker. Whereas yeah. everyone else goes, hey. And then sometimes you do see people who do go on with pretend notebooks. So 
couple of comics oh. I know and go, oh, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's the new version of being Frankie Howard going, you know, all, coat, all fur coat, no knickers, all yes, all that stuff. Do you know what the worst version of that is? There's this show set list where they flash up topics and you have yeah. to improvise. And I've seen people try and segue prepared material into that. And it is, oh my God, it's awful. You want to like shout out like, yeah, phony. Yeah. I got annoyed at that. I, I did that. A few, I, I really like it. It's a fascinating thing to do if you want to do it, if you're still obsessed with it. Yeah. No, but you no wouldn't know. But it's, no. oh, there is a huge amount of pressure, Blah. I think. You want it, you, you want I'm Alexis Sale. Yeah. I can't be seen to fail. <laughs> <laughs> this whole club exists because yeah. of me. This whole edifice, our business. Yeah. Not just this club, no foundations of the world would be rocked. If I'm, Alexis Sale was seen to fail, it's... It cannot cannot they've, be permitted. They've closed comedy down. Yes, yes, Alexi, it turned out he was not impervious. Like that yeah. moment in, in The Man who, who Would Be King, where Sean Connery is bitten and the blood comes out and they go, he's not a god at all. Yeah. Stick him on a rope bridge and chuck him down a canyon. Exactly. So you are right. I don't think you should be no, no, chucked down a too, canyon. Taking too big a risk. Yeah, don't bite Alexi's out <laughs> before he leaves and prove he bleeds. Okay. No, but there was, I did it in Edinburgh... Um, I'm really fired up when I do it. Yeah. I thought, oh, God, God, I was on with amazing people as well. And a review afterwards said, oh, it was really great. And some people did, because I did notice some people did some stuff that I've done before. And they said about me doing stuff. I said, <gasps> no, none of that is stuff I've ever done before. That was, it just happened that when it came up, you know, really John Wayne you. Gacy on a unicycle, that's what I created. Yeah. And the person went, oh, sorry. I'd be furious. So I thought, yeah. That's good for you as a compliment. I wanted to ask you about things that you've read because um, I've really enjoyed reading your fiction and I love reading short stories and um, I was wondering, like, are you a short story fan? Like, what do you like to read? Um, well, yeah, I mean, re re reading, I was very... I mean, again, reading was more important than art to me, probably when I was growing up, in a way. Um, and I was a, a voracious reader. Um, and the, the, the thing that I always sort of say well one of the things is that my my you know, we had a lot of books in our house but uh because my parents were both in the communist party they only sought out books that confirmed their point of view so they wouldn't read anything that so you had an echo chamber library yes yes absolutely well, this is the other left book club and all <laughs> yeah it was just yeah all the books were called you're right molly and joe <laughs> <laughs> why molly and joe are right about everything <laughs> Uh, why Molly's right about the, you know, the Sudetenland. Uh, so, um, the terrible day that Alexi became one of the bourgeoisie. Alexi's so bourgeois. <laughs> um, and I, that, for some reason, made me want to read people who, you know, challenge my point of view. Mm -hmm. So, in my mind, I'm a, I'm a world's lead. I'm a leading authority on Evelyn Moore. Nowhere. <laughs> But I mean, if I had, if I went on Celebrity Mastermind, I would do the sort of honor trilogy would be. And do you love his writing? I do, yeah. Very much. What do you What did you really love about it? What I love about it is just, I mean, the it's a glimpse into you know. I think writing, you know, it should be a portal into a world of people who don't think like you, and so it's a, it's a it's a glimpse of a world. I mean, there's the, the, obviously his work breaks down into two separate. There's the early satires. And then there's the later stuff. I mean, sort of on a trilogy and Brideshead, really the kind of post-war uh, stuff. Um, and I mean, the the early satires are just very funny. And I think, you know, for the times, you know, because they mention very lightly, you know, obviously homosexuality, incest, 
you know, adultery, you know, but, you know, and this is in the 30s, and I think that that was a remarkable thing to do in a comic novel. And then the, 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 the more heavyweight, I mean, I just find, I mean, particularly the Sword of Honor trilogy, I just love this teeming kind of world that he creates, really. And I think it's probably just one of the most effective descriptions of Britain, you know, throughout the war. And again, there's some wonderfully funny characters in, you know, some funny and very touching. But he, and he was also, he was a drunk and he was right-wing and stuff. But there's a tremendous humanity, I think, yeah. at the at the heart of his writing, really. A real, um, you know, a real painful kind of understanding of people's motives and stuff. So I do, I, do, I mean, he's, he's the one writer that I read over and over again, really. Thinking of uh, self-loathing Catholics, mm. so Graham Greene, yeah, I was talking, <laughs> right. a great, yeah. great short story writer as well, Graham yeah. Greene. So when you started writing, when you, you the short stories, uh, did you find yourself looking at the art of other, or was it merely from your memory of those that had you'd enjoyed? Uh... Well, there's two separate strands I think that informed when I started writing short stories. One was just. Um, the, the classic science fiction stories, the you know, which often kind of shaded over into you know, I great. I mean, much I mean, often much disregarded. But I mean, um, I mean, I can't even recall a lot of the writers really. I mean, uh, but those you know, you'd read those astounding science fiction, and some of the short stories are not really that science fictiony. They're just great horror stories of great just great stories often, you know. So they really, that, you know, the proper story with the twist really was, was my model. And then there was also Saki, 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 however you pronounce it. It was a great influence on me. And, yeah, the short stories of Graham Greene, um, that collection, there's a collection, I think. And, again, they often shaded over into horror. I mean, I think there's one I haven't read it for, like, since I was a teenager probably, but I... There's a guy in a cinema with talking to somebody who I think is like, and he's spraying him with blood. I think he's dead or something. I can't remember the story now, but they're, they're quite horrific, some of Graham Greene's short stories. Uh, so, yeah, they were, they, they were you know, highly influential. Really. But the main thing was that, yeah, that, 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 um, the, the, a story that is both kind of hinges on some kind of, um, problem and then it's got a, like a kicker at the end yeah kind of thing yeah. so when did you because so you went you, there was art then you taught performance right i'm doing brecht and then is that would the first book be trained to hell first one yeah well again i mean like like war my <laughs> my uh writing i think breaks down into um like when i was up for the costa or whatever it was called first novel award and then there was a bit of a scandal really because they said, hang on, when, when Barcelona played, or maybe it must have been Overtaken came out. Yeah, it must have been Overtaken. Somebody discovered that, in fact, I'd written three novels before. <laughs> and I'd, I'd kind of forgotten. I'd genuinely forgotten because I, I see Chain to Hell, Jeffrey the Tube Chain, and uh, Great Bush Jennings of the World as kind of books written by a comedian, you know. Well, so what was the transition? Like, what was the thing that changed it? I think, well, it was in, in like, the, the late... You know, I kind of reached the end of the... I felt like I'd reached the end of a kind of road, really. I mean, in I did my last TV series in 97, Merry Go Round. And though it had... um, It had a lot of good things in it. I think I probably... It didn't... It, I think I'd probably gone back to that format. One time too many, really. I should have... I should have... I, I, and I was trying to find other ways to to do stuff successfully on telly. 
And then I'd, I'd stopped doing stand-up in 96. And again, I felt kind of a bit de- defeated by it, really. I'd got sick of, you know, doing Hello, John Got New Motor. You know, I kind of thought, oh, fuck, I've got to do that again. Um, uh, so I felt... And so I spent the next few years really looking for a new... And I presented, like, dance programmes on Dance Night on BBC Two and all, you know, things. But I was writing a lot of movie scripts and stuff. Um, they were getting you know, money for, but they were never going to get made. And then one day I had the idea for Barcelona Pledge on about 99, 98, 99, and I just thought, oh, I can pitch this to somebody at Channel 4. Why bother? And I thought, well, if I write it myself, I've made the movie. You know, if you write it, it's a short story. And I found, oh, I mean, one of the things I found that had happened to me was that I tried to write prose before, kind of non Yeah, the other books, yeah, so the other books were kind of comedy books. But I tried to write proper, I do write tried to write proper literary fiction before and I've always found myself too to be too verbose, really. And there's something that had happened in the meantime when I wrote Bar- Barcelona Plates that I think partly because I'd done a lot of journalism and so I'd learned a kind of economy that there was this very clipped kind of writing style that had just emerged. And, and, and you know, I wrote that, that short story and then I wrote another 12, really, whatever it was. And they got picked up and, you know, became a big success, really. But it was that, it was how it find it. I had the style that emerged from somewhere. And I had the motivation to become somebody else because I think I'd, I'd kind of lost my way a bit as a comic, really. Mm. You know, I, I, I think I'd... But that's quite a hard time to have, like, a couple of years where creatively you're sort of almost waiting to work out yeah, it was, what you're doing. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was not just because... Well, not horrible, so overstating it, perhaps, in a sense, but, I mean, it's self-pitying. But, yeah, because... I mean, this is all in my mind, so somebody else would just see it as, you know... But, I mean, there was... There was... Um, so there was that I'd kind of gone out of fashion a bit, and I think there was new comics coming up, you know, doing different things. Some of them kind Cokey of soup comedians, huh? Cocaine souped comedians, kind of thing, yeah. You must be very excited by Jack Whitehall starring in Evelyn Wars Decline and Fall, then on the BBC. Uh, yeah, it, um, I, yeah, my, my, um, yeah, my heart dropped. I, <laughs> I, saw, I saw that. Since he's perhaps he's not, I mean, he's not a bad actor sometimes, I think, really. So, oh, he's brilliant in fresh yeah. meat, he's absolutely brilliant. yeah. Jimmy so Carr's maybe... version of a handful of dust, though, was absolutely <laughs> awful, awful error. Well, I mean, he might be, I mean, the sword they did a, a, an adaptation of Sword of Honor trilogy with Daniel Craig, and he was completely miscast because he's not, um, Guy Count Crouchback. Well, yeah. he's... Yeah, and get, sorry, I just mimed yeah. macho. Yeah. I, I, the things that it's interesting for you talking about like developing more journalistic style because, and I know I crowbar the same old shit into every podcast, but like <laughs> one of the reasons, like with your short stories, like I, the people that I really love reading these short stories and why I'm such a fan of it, I think is like I love Raymond Carver because yeah, of the terseness, yeah, and yeah. I love Chekhov because of the brevity and that sort of thing, and I feel like it's that kind of writing, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not florid, it's not, it's not this. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. No, Carver again was yeah. I mean, somebody that yeah. I mean, was a tremendous um, influence on me yeah, in terms of writing style. Yeah, and it, that is that that is the epitome of, of it's a, the best. Yeah, it's the best. I yeah. was reading some again the other day, and I was just like, this is everything I aspire to in everything I write, and he's already done it. So what the fuck am I trying to do? Um, what do you what do you like reading at the moment? Have you got any 
things that you would recommend to people that you've read in the last few years? Um, I mean, I don't read nearly as much as I should. I mean, I, I, I fall into that thing a bit where I, I only read on holiday, which is really stupid. I've just read, apropos of what we were talking about before we, we came on air or whatever we were, about um, this thing called The Candidate, which is about how Jeremy Corbyn became the leader of the Labour Party. And it's fascinating. It's by and large well written. Some some long airs in it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really well written. So I've just finished that. Uh, the thought would go on. I've gone on to Tom Bowers' Broken Vows or whatever it is about Blair. I quite like those. I find myself often re- I quite like those Anthony Beaver kind of like Stalingrad, which is just like a list of names and numbers. Like the, <laughs> <laughs> the 9th Brigade moved up to just outside Proporovka on the 16th of June and engaged the 4th Panzer Grenadiers on the afternoon of the following day. It's nice for isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of absorbing and you don't remember anything about it afterwards, you know. Meanwhile, 4th Air Brigade... See, that's what I find annoying about those books. Certain political books as well, which are so brilliantly put together and mm. so well researched. And then at the end of it, all I can go is, yes, it seems that he was a bad man <laughs> who betrayed people for some kind of statistical... I'd have no memory. No yeah. memory at all. But no, I find them... But the, the, the history ones, I find really soothing about battles and stuff. So, so do, you don't, do you read more non-fiction than fiction? I think I do these days, yeah. I think I... Yeah. Um... I'm trying to think of some. I, I read. I mean, a couple, I read. Um, was it? We are all extremely excited, or whatever. Oh, we are all absolutely beside yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Is that which what it's is, called? Yeah. Yeah. Which is it good? Great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Are you someone who ever goes? Oh, that's won the Booker Prize. I must read it. No. No. I don't know who does. Do you? No. No. <laughs> I'm busy. I got. Yeah. I got. Our Booker Shamble show is never going to occur, <laughs> is it? I think I've already. Well, we had. Um, uh, wasn't. Uh, Natalie Haynes a judge for the book I don't yeah. know I don't know how you can do that I mean I, I once judged a science book prize which is quite it's not it takes ages but you can do it quite quickly but the idea of sitting and reading 140 novels yeah. mate and being I judged a comic book prize that's even quicker you just look at the pictures a bit yeah. but all my choices didn't win and I felt like there was a panel of judges and I was really like I have to go around find the people that I chose and be like by the way I chose you. But then knowing from my like experience of not winning prizes, when people come up to you and they're like, I was backing you, deep down you think, no, you bloody <laughs> You're backing me out, I won it. That's one of my favourite things in Edinburgh during the festival is that last night where there are certain people, and you will always know there, will always come up to you and go, well, you do know I was on the long list. Ha! Apparently I was the last name to get knocked off before it became public. When it was a private and secret thing, yeah. I was definitely... And then yeah, the other person comes that. up and you go, well, that's 17 people so far who were the last name. But that's how I feel about my career a little bit, is most TV shows I'm like... I auditioned for that and I didn't get it. Oh, well, I auditioned for that and I didn't you? get it. No. Uh... You've got loads of awards. All right, come on. Yeah, you've done very well. Thanks, I wanted, because you're on comic books, I wanted yeah. to quickly mention how Oscar Zarati, who I love and I know you are still friends with, and uh, as well as doing Jeffrey Tube Train, the fat comedian, did uh, Small Killing with Alan Moore and has done some beautiful, I think he did Faust, uh, Faustus and things like that. Yeah. And how did that come about, this you making a, a, a comic book? Because I still think it is very funny and there's a lot of stuff in that was it 87 88 something like that there's yeah. a, a lot of stuff about um the basic world of the media and however yeah. much it has changed where you go that still works as yeah uh, i just I, I suppose i felt in retrospect that i wasn't involved enough in i wanted to work oscar just wrote to me really and i liked him so much that i wanted to work with him i think i feel a little bit that i wasn't 
I didn't love comic books enough to do a comic book in a way, so I felt a bit reticent about it. But it's a good book, but, you know, I think it's one of the, for me, it's one of the pre-watershed kind of pre -watershed, uh, books for me, really. It's yeah. certainly got, it's got some really delightful brutality. Yeah, no, and Oscar's, Oscar's, Oscar, yeah. uh, Oscar's drawing style is, uh, is wonderful, yeah. So it's nothing that you would ever... Well, if, in fact, I'll move on because it's not really your area then, which is politically, because you've just been mentioning... How do you... We're recording this, obviously, the day before the American election. Mm. And I would say that now, in terms of the ability for us to have so much information fed to us, means that many people have reached a point of desperation. And I was trying to, I, I was trying to work out whether... If in the mid 1980s you had had all of this fed into you during things like the miners' strike, would people have gone? Because some people are going, it's the worst it's ever been. It's never been this bad. People as old as me who were, you know, around watching the way the media did the mine, they're going, it's worse than that. It's worse. There is no, there seems to be very little mainstream alternative. Whereas in the 1980s, you would have had, you know, what was on Channel 4, what was on ITV, you know, the John Pilger documentaries, yeah. and so many other things. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you have a kind of viewpoint on these moments um it certainly seems i mean it's difficult really i mean i'm 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 always uh cautious about nostalgia and you know thinking things were better or worse in the past really but um uh i mean the bbc does seem a lot more biased well there's that that study where it said it was four yeah. times more biased towards yeah. the Conservative government than it is. And then what's frightening is you, you quote things that you know are real and you know are based on scientific study. And even as you say it, you think, well, I can imagine people listening to this who disagree with me will refuse to acknowledge yeah. that that is a fact. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of that, isn't there? It's, um, yeah, the, I mean, you know, there was a, there was a, a, there was a degree to which I think the, the media in the, um, there were a lot more lefties in the media. I think in the in the eighties and stuff, and um, certainly in the news department seems to be staffed entirely by young conservatives. Oh, no people it blows who my mind. Yeah, but Laura, yeah. what's her surname? Kinsberg. Laura Kinsberg, and you just go. Will you openly express your support? Express for your support for David Cameron, and you yeah. know how are we supposed to yeah. deal with that? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I but know. how does that? This is a thing that I just wonder again over that period of time. There seems to have been this, it's not really subterfuge because it's overt, where as long as someone says, there's left-wing bias, the whole, uh, it's, it's all left-wing bias at the BBC, it doesn't then matter who does the research and goes, this is actually what was said. Uh, and this is what we've seen with Trump. You know, Trump, over this weekend, there was a moment where you had a, a, a heckler at uh, a, a Barack Obama, I think, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was an old soldier, or it appeared to be an old soldier. And he dealt with it in this this way where I don't think we're going to see that kind of, uh, of, of ability instantaneously to react to a situation in president for a while. And he dealt with it very gently. And he told everyone to calm down. And this was a, a soldier. Really. And this is an old man. And we should respect him, an old man. This is a free country the freedom of speech and don't boo vote and then you watch trump and he goes do you see the way he was screaming at that soldier yeah. and people go yes we did and you go but there it is yeah look at him screaming and you do go we're in this fucking philip k dick novel <laughs> where you 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 feel that you go why am i seeing this what is is my brain wrong is my brain fucked it is um it is i've never known a world that seems more like a kind of movie yeah or like you said a kind of dystopian science fiction you know i mean trump is that do you feel like because i feel a bit like temperament can get you through like if your temperament largely is to be like oh well what are we doing let's get on with it 
it will get you through everything. And like, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, all the personality types and how everyone's necessary in some ways, but like, just some people aren't just, it'd be good if some people's specific talents were being used for good and not for evil and stuff like that. And so basically what I'm saying is if you're naturally born quite a blithe optimist, it'll be fine. And if you're not, it'll be a torture from beginning to end. And that's that. You see, I've even seen my happy-go-lucky friends, my happy-go-lucky cosmologist friends, who always, they talk about the end of the world and entropy and the end of the universe, they're still smiling. And even they have gone, oh, fucking hell, your natural sense of pessimism seems to have maybe been... now. So, And I don't feel any victory. I go, I just wanted to be this, you know, dull grey misanthrope who was proved eternally wrong when he saw... Well, last night I did see... Wouldn't it be like Morrissey or something? No, 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 not... Well, I can't say. I've done it. You know when you go something is litigious? Um, <laughs> no, but I, and I... And I do really look out for those moments of, of kindness. Last night, coming back from a gig I was doing with Joe Brand, someone just walked out of Pizza Express and obviously had ordered an extra pizza for the homeless guy who was outside and went, oh, I've got your pizza. Just did that and then walked off. And that kind of thing... So, but then there's another side, and I don't know if I'm hoping that it's merely because this particular Plato's cave, which is supplied to us by Twitter, uh, is. Do you know what uh, I would say though? Is always look at the grassroots because there's never a dearth of it. Like, I feel like now, you know, there's more DIY culture, there's more activist politics than ever before, but it doesn't have a mainstream outlet, it doesn't have support, it doesn't have funding, it doesn't have anything that you used to have. It doesn't even You don't even have the ability to squat in the way that you did in the 1980s. So there's more obstacles than ever, but there's more people getting on with it than ever before. And like, like I, was, I wrote this show this summer and the ending of it is basically that I've become more of a hand wringer than I thought I was. And I just looked around me this summer and found like several organisations that set up this summer Summer, that are doing things that will inspire you with their audacity and their kindness and, and like you know there's so many people at a grassroots level founding organizations to try and do something to counteract the refugee crisis to be humane and kind and things spring up every single day you know people making things getting getting on with things um that you know the fact that there's a uk chapter of black lives matter that was founded this summer you know and already they managed to work with other activists to ground the plane on um on the runway at um, London City Airport, like, is actually more inspiring than ever, really. And young people, you know, look at the amount of young people who've been politicised over the last 10 years. Generation after generation has been politicised for good, for each other, into activism, in a way that my generation wasn't. Like, And people five years older than me weren't because we were complacent, because we lived under a notionally Labour government. Like, actually... I am as inspired as ever, if not more reassured by people getting on with things on the ground. And they always will be, no matter what happens. And no matter how bad things get, not every cunt is going to be wiped out. You know, even if it's down to 12 people and one of those people is an arsehole, four of them, you're going to be like, oh my God, they're yeah, such a good that. bloke. I saw a man punching a sparrow yesterday. Well, it's hard I mean, to I punch didn't, a sparrow. I but it was sparrow. in a dream. <laughs> the, but I wonder, there was a... Because I think the, the, the week that we're particularly recording this, there's been a lot about the fact that the press's reaction to the judiciary in their, uh, in terms of the, the Brexit thing, where mm, you, you get a sense thing. of already it's a, it's, it's a bullying press. But now we go, we march on the judges. We must find out where their houses are. They're not, and, and the lack of reading into why that was found out. And then, then at the weekend, there's a lovely comedian. I don't know if you've come across him, Chris Coltrane, lovely political comedian. Mm. He runs a 40-seat club once a month, £3 entry. Yep. And he was front page of the Mail Online. 
as this kind of, you as know... a traitor. Yeah, it? it's not just the judiciary. Well, now we're going to come for the ones with the 40-seat once-a-month but... comedy clubs above a pub in Camden. And there the seems to be a level... I was wondering when you were, you know... The, Alternative oh, yeah. comedy, I think of the some of the reports, you know, Channel 4, some of the disgusting things. You know, Brookside was this, you know, not like Coronation Street where there's music hall whimsy. These union leaders and rest, you know, there was a... So I wondered your experience at, at that time. Well, it's mixed really in a way, isn't it? Because, it, you know, you look at... I mean, when I did that... Um, uh, I did a documentary, you know, series about Liverpool in 2008 and... Um, we used a clip from Brookside, and it's Ricky uh, Tomlinson and Sheila Johnson. I can't remember what the family was called now, but they're talking... Corkills, wasn't it? Was it no, they're not the Corkills. Uh, but uh, and he's talking about, like, this industrial dispute, and it's so <laughs> boring. He's, like, going, so, um, so Sheila, we've uh, referred the uh, negotiations back to the executive committee. <laughs> <laughs> so, was, this is prime time. So, I mean, you kind of think... But you know, no wonder people rejected that kind of left liberalism, you know. And... Yeah, but didn't he say that, that that guy who wrote Brookside, the only time he really actually felt like he'd learnt about writing drama was when he tried to ha- he had to try and make the Tory characters humane and likeable. Oh, really? And it was like this big challenge to him, but it kind of changed it from what he, he worked Frank to or, do. Uh, uh, yeah. Frank Ultra Boys. Yes, yeah. I think so. Um, well, you know, good, you know. But I mean, no, that, it was unbelievably dull and self-indulgent. But that. then... Do you feel a bit like people expect you to be a certain way and to like certain things, and it actually that's like super reductive? Yeah, and I mean, what one of my whole, you mean my whole, where you know, I mean all my artistic output, a lot of it has been about challenging that, and and the book is a, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of although I I was of of the left as a comic, a lot of my stand up was about criticizing the left. Um, you know, because they drove me nuts. I didn't know any Tories. I couldn't be. I mean, it was sort of Ben who did more of that thatch stuff, really. I just, I just had to go at the Socialist Workers Party or whatever, really. I mean, or just communists, or because it was, the, it seemed to be the left that was so useless that I, I'd rather have a go at them than you know than the Tories in a way. I don't know what I'm saying here. What am I saying? Well, you're saying that you took down Stoke Newington in 1982, yeah, with the, uh, which of course is now where the jazz critic Stuart Lee lives. Yes. So, indeed. Uh, in terms of popular culture, then, would you are you reasonably optimistic? I mean, because the problem now, of course, is there's so much of it. There is such a variety of of, of, of channels. When we were growing up, there there was Channel Four and BBC Two as world, these bastions yeah. of alternative thinking. Well, I think, I mean, this right, several things, really. I mean, it's, I think, you know, what you were talking about before, the, I mean, the, the stuff that happens in the world and what you think happens in the world is sort of different, aren't they? It depends on the emphasis, in a way, and the emphasis that the media gives. I mean, you know, for all um, Barack Obama being hip and, you know, photogenic, he didn't stop him bombing you know taking part in bombing the shit out of the yemen or you know making the situation in afghanistan far far worse than it was before i mean he's a yeah the fact that you know obama's handsome and telegenic and and emollient and stuff you know i mean in the end i mean i don't think trump will get elected but it'd be interesting to see in a sense whether somebody who is clearly you know so clearly a maniac or, I mean, how is that that different, really, to somebody who's just hiding how much of a maniac they are, you know? I mean, that's... 
But is there a difference in the desire to commit maniacal acts and the kind of what then ends up being this awful hodgepodge of kind of of, of foreign policy? What becomes well, this? And I would agree, you know, the, Christopher Hitchens' book about the the Clintons is uh, I can't remember. No one left to lie to. You know, that's yeah. very interesting. Well, also, I mean, one of the the theme, one of the themes of my um, the first book, uh, Stan, you know, uh, Stan at my homework was that my parents, you know, were really nice people, and the and they, well, my mother wasn't, but my dad was. <laughs> <laughs> mother was fucking mad, but they were they were both people who longed for a better world. They had a genuine desire to see the world improve, and through that longing, they came to support the greatest mass murder of all time because they turned because they were wishing the Soviet Union to be a success, they ignored its clear and obvious failings from the get-go. And so they allowed, they, they, they defended, um, you know, authoritarian communism. And all these lovely, lovely people, you know, you know really, and just defending Stalin, defending Khrushchev, you know. And it, 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 one of the things that, you know, is a constant in my work is that, is how one of the things we have to get away from on the left is doing that, and I hope mm. that the 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 Corbyn. I mean, there's some of that still in the Corbyn generation, but hopefully they've learned their lessons but to what, some extent. You know. Sorry to interrupt. What blows my mind a lot among people who are like, I guess, thirty-five and younger is one of the criticisms that gets levelled at you for being like a socialist. Is they're like, we're all Stalinists. I and no one I know has any idea really of what Stalinist politics is or any do you know what I mean like yeah. it's so far removed from what people's experience and what people's ambitions and stuff are you know where like loads Does of that still happen oh my god yeah yeah, and loads of younger people are just like, we just want a tepid social democracy yeah, for a start. Exactly, like, yeah. please. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, but it's true. It's but you know you can't. You know, I think it is important to you know. I don't know. I mean, you know, Palestine is something that I, you know, that I'm involved in. But you can't pretend that you know that the Palestinian Authority or you know are not are not corrupt. They're not mm. useless. You know. I mean, you can't because your cause is just. You can't pretend that everybody in it's great. Yeah. So do you feel like you like you have to work towards a place where you're like not really relying on anybody to be consistent? Absolutely, yeah, because with human beings, you know, I mean, I hate that. I mean, it's one of the things I've, I've trying to, it's something I've been thinking about recently is that idea of the exemplar, you know, that, well, you can't be, you know, it's right, it's that below the line stuff about Corbyn, isn't it? He's got a million pound house. Well, everybody in fucking Finsbury, if you had a fucking tube, you know, you'd have a. You it was know, a five grand you, house when, yeah, he, when he bought it. Yeah, when he bought it. You know, everybody's got a million pound house in. In uh, local everybody over forty anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it well, seems a... generally that that's always been a pattern, hasn't it? Oh, it's very interesting. You say you're left wing, but you're not in agony. Yeah, and exactly. a, you've, you've, got, <laughs> you've got two pairs of shoes, <laughs> and that the yeah, the idea of the exemplar that you, you can only be, you know, you can only profa- propound a kind of a kindness in the world if you're Gandhi, and in fact, Gandhi was no bloody exemplar, you know. But also, like, there's this phrase that like we keep. I keep trying to repeat, which is hypocrites are helpful. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. Of course, everyone's a hypocrite. It yeah. doesn't mean it doesn't discredit everything they're going to say. No, exactly. It doesn't mean you're not saying something that's true. Yes, I'm a terrible, tremendous hypocrite. Enormous. You, if you, I'm not going to go into the many ways in huh. which, you know, my we I, need you know, an exclusive betray, <laughs> betray my 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 principles on an hourly basis. <laughs> You know, in the most debauched fashion, but it doesn't mean that I haven't got, you know, 
there's a couple of books that I would <laughs> there's a couple of books I would recommend um, by Sinclair Lewis. Do you know Sinclair Lewis, the early twentieth yeah. century satirist? Doing a lot of them in our house. <laughs> he wrote. Well, uh, well he I suppose wrote, now he's but well, there, there will be blood. Was, uh, is a Sinclair no, Lewis. No, that's Trump. That's Trump. Yeah. Yeah. I know. How yeah. dare you? Um, Sinclair Lewis wrote Elma Gantry, which is oh, you know yeah. in terms of what we're talking about, it's hypocrites can be helpful. Elma Gantry is about this false preacher who's complete bullshit, but people believe it, and it's kind of that thing of like well, surely there's a bit of worth to it, you know, and, and it's really interesting that. And he also wrote, very topical, It Can't Happen Here, which is about Buzz Windrip, a uh, fascist dictator taking over in America. And, it, like, there's massive parallels with Trump. And he wrote it in, I don't fucking know, like 1919, 1923 or something. I'd recommend both um, really interesting books and really funny and feel really before their time as well. I'm lazy. I've seen the film, <laughs> Elmer Gantry. It's Burt Lancaster. It's Ooh. great. Yeah, well, Burt Lancaster was. Yeah, did some interesting work. Oh, he's some brilliant stuff. Yeah. The, uh, um, Babbitt, I love it's the... another one. Babbitt's really good. It's about a man who's a massive hypocrite about prohibition and about decency and stuff like that. Sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. The um, I was thinking that there's that nice line by uh, Russell Brand. Uh, I think it's in the documentary that was done by uh, on the uh, Timmer where he, where he says uh, oh, it might yeah. be in this stand-up show where he said, you know, when I was poor and uh, I said these things, it was apparently because I was envious. Now I'm rich and I say these things, it's because I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm beginning to think there might be some problems generally with ever holding this opinion. That's true. I mean, you know, yeah, I just, I. Uh, I just think you can say stuff, but doesn't mean you can't have a nice dinner. <laughs> well, I, I like your champagne socialist, where you said, I am a champagne socialist. Champagne for everyone. Yes, I'm fighting for the right of every member of the working class to have a, a house in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. Every, it'd get a bit crowded, wouldn't it? But it'd be nice. Yeah. It'd be all right. At least people would be a yeah. bit more fun. Yeah. I, I'm really like luxury goods. I like I, luxury food is the most incredible thing in the world, and I'm so glad. Like when I got to uni, and I was like, "Oh my god, pesto exists!" Changed my life. Full stop. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't be so pesto. So we leave with end on recipe hints because we've run out of time. The uh, your uh, book, the Stalinate my homework. Uh, not Stalinate my homework. That's just my trousers. trousers. Stalinate my homework is still available. Still available. And uh, Thatch my trousers is coming out, or it's just out now in, in, paperback, uh, in yeah. paperback. It has and some brilliant quote. stuff as well about your uh, auditioning for the comedy store, the early days. Yeah. See, one of my favourite things actually was when I think the first time we met, and I said I was always kind of in awe of the fact that you said oh do you know what i just used to whistle on my way to the comedy store wander on stage do it and then just whistle all the way home and you said to me oh did i say that i must have been lying (laughs) (laughs) complete lie i was petrified from morning (laughs) till night yeah you got what's another thing isn't it you know the yeah politicians are you know criticized for inconsistency well how how do you recognize when you made a mistake if you Mm. don't Make you turns, you know, if you don't contradict yourself. And also, like, you have to move with the times. Yeah, You're exactly. in context and then you're not, like... I look at things that I said 10 years ago and I think, oh, actually, that's a bit unacceptable, yeah. I wouldn't say. You know, and I try really hard not ago, to... 10 years ago, I look at things I must show two years ago. I mean, that's that constant progression, isn't it, where you yes. go, ethically, I no longer stand yeah. by the DVD release, which is still available on Going Fast Strike, <laughs> where I said this. Well, my support for Franco was now... <laughs> I'm reassessing it, really. <laughs> it was only when you saw Pan's Labyrinth and, thought, the, and oh, the man, Church yeah. with the Eyes. Yeah, I thought, oh, that was a mistake. I've been thinking about that, about how, like... Because now what you get a lot in, 
in the like Twitter and that is people going, thing is, the anti-fascists are actually as bad as the fascists. It's like, well, they're not. They're definitely not. Hundred <laughs> percent, no. they're not. Uh, the anti-fascists are the ones stopping the fascists. The fascists are the bad guys. And so, like, I've just been like, everyone should have the right to pass around, and the fact that you're trying to stop them pass around in. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that for ten years, always having that. Well, actually, the atheists I think are as bad as the fundamentalist religious people who uh, like, do. They're not. They're, no. they're not. They're not. They've written some books, and sometimes they can be a bit pug and smoke and po-faced as well. But very rarely does their particular... Yeah, what about Stalin? I don't think it was the atheism that drove it to him. I think it was the crazed egotism um, and Lysenko ideas. Well, that's... Uh, thank you very much, Lexi, for yeah, coming and doing this thank again. You, and uh, um, Josie, we better read out uh, all them Patreon bits. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Firstly, we want to say thank you so much for supporting this podcast. We love getting to make it, and it means so much that you do. Um, if you want to support us on PayPal, you can go to cosmicgenome.com forward slash shambles. Also, if you are living in... In Australia or New Zealand, we are doing our tour, which can be found at cosmicshambleslive.com. We're going to Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Uh, but what we'd like to do is thank people who support the podcast. So I'd like to say thank you to Uther Dean, Philip Harris, Helen Edwards, Freya Dean, Di Stubbs. Uh, Vanessa Fury, Paul Douglas, Connor Ryan, and also people who've given us uh, one-off donations via PayPal. Thanks to Kay Jones, David Mitchell, and Katrina Mann, and this week's winner of a box of books. And they are good books. They're not just any old tat that they'd line up in a pub. This is real proper stuff. Is Roger Shaw. Also, David Mitchell. Do you reckon it was Cloud Atlas, David Mitchell? Or do you reckon it was uh, Peep Show, David Mitchell? Or do you reckon it's just another David Mitchell who's got a nice allotment, though? Oh. Who knows? We'll never know. Bye. Yeah, and if you were the winner of our Patreon Box of Books prize, then the best way to get in contact with us is either via our Twitter account, which is at Cosmic Genome, or you can go to cosmicgenome.com slash shambles, have a look on that page, and you'll be able to contact us there so we can get your address and send the books to you. Thanks. Bye. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Man Productions.